0: Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis 33. We're continuing, of course, our study of the book of Genesis. Our focus right now is on the life of Jacob. If you remember Genesis, there were four big events. There was the creation, the fall, the flood, and the spreading out. And then there are four key people in the book of Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. That's how it fits together. Well, the focus in this section is Jacob. We're seeing a powerful event. It's the reconciliation of Jacob and Esau, the brothers. That's kind of the key thing. Jacob returns from Haran to the promised land after 20 years years. And we're seeing Jacob's encounter with Esau twenty years before. Jacob had stolen the blessing from Esau and Esau wanted to kill him then. That's why he left. He's gone to live he had gone to live in Iran with his uncle Laban. Now, at God's direction he's returned. And he's coming back to the promised land. In fact that's where God told him to go, back to the promised land, and he's going to meet his brother Esau. And the key from this passage is reconciliation. You've heard me say many times that the story of the Bible is reconciliation. Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. That's the story of the Bible. The whole thing is reconciliation. We see Jacob and Esau coming together, and we're going to see what happens. And there are two things concerning reconciliation. First, our reconciliation to God. We uh, we talked about that last week a little bit. I want to review. And then our reconciliation to others, how those t- things tie together. So as we finish our passage tonight, and really it's not a long passage, and a lot of the things we'll about uh, just dealing with reconciliation, and then we'll we'll get the flow of the passage. There's some great biblical truths for us. Let's let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you again for the songs. Thank you uh, for Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know that reconciliation is the key, that you want mankind reconciled to you. That's why you sent your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know that all who believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life and be reconciled. So Lord, we just ask you that uh, you would teach us tonight as we look through the passage, teach. Just things that we can apply in our lives even right now. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We know it's, uh, it's, it's really bad when people don't get along, and sometimes people say there's almost nothing worse than two people who can't get along. They're at odds with each other, whether they were once friends or family or coworkers, but they're now at odds. What needs to happen? And everybody says things like, well, they need to be reconciled. And there are two key aspects that we talked about last week when we think about reconciliation. In fact, when we look at the biblical subject of reconciliation, two things go together, humility and forgiveness. Humility is the fact that people have to humble themselves and realize that we're wrong. And then second, forgiveness is the whole idea of giving and accepting forgiveness. And last time we saw Jacob's return, that's what we saw. We saw the reconciliation, the humility and forgiveness, the humility of Jacob and the forgiveness of Esau. Well, this evening we want to continue to look at that, and there are two things. Uh, the next slide is our reconciliation to God and then our reconciliation to others. We want to see how that ties together. Now, last time, reconciliation to God tonight, reconciliation to others. Let me tell you what we're going to do. Here we're going to do these things. Number one, we're going to look at the background of the just to review. Then Jacob and Esau, we see their meeting. We review reconciliation to God. We think about our reconciliation to others. And then we finish the passage, the invitation, Jacob's response, because Esau invites Jacob to come with him. And, and it's a little bit strange that he doesn't go. In fact, he says, I'll go a lot slower and I'll catch up with you. He never goes there. He goes to a place called Succoth, and then he goes to Shechem. Now, we're going to find that Shechem wasn't that great a place, okay, if you've ever studied the next chapter. But we'll see how things go. There's a lot there. Let's start with some background. Let's get a little background. If you remember, Jacob is coming back from Haran. He's going to meet Esau. He is afraid. Uh, he, he does not want Esau to kill him. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And what all happens on the way is one of the most famous stories in the Bible is where Jacob wrestles with God. He has seen everybody across the, the little, uh, little stream, and he's got everybody over there, and he's there by himself, and he's trying to plot because his name Jacob means deceiver, and he's trying to figure out how can I uh, get... Keep from getting killed by my brother, and he says I'm going to send all these presents I'm going to send president after president after president, and then when I actually get there, I'll send I'll send uh, my maids and their children first, and then I'll send Leah and her children next, and then I'll send last but not least my my, you know Rachel uh, you know and 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 Joseph and everything will be okay, Uh, and then hopefully by that time everything will be okay. He's got the plans. Well, that night God appeared. And in some form and wrestled with him. And it's one of the famous passages because people say, what do you mean wrestled with God? What happened? And we saw toward the end that he wrestled with God. And then God said, let me go. And Jacob kept hanging on. And what we saw then is that all his life, Jacob had fought against God, fought against God, always tried to do his own thing. He realizes he can't defeat God. So then he wants to hang on to God, which is the right thing he should do is to hang on. And so when he hangs on, he says, I'm, I'm going to hang on until you bless me. And God says, OK, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to change your name. You've been Jacob, which is deceiver. I'm going to change it to Israel, which means prince of God, and and so then when when he wakes the next morning he realizes wow this was big and so when he gets there he sets everything up. The presents have already already go, uh, gone out to Esau. Esau's coming with 400 men, but we saw the change last time. Instead of sending the maids first and their kids and Leah and then as, he went first and bowed down seven. Times. Seven different times he bowed down before he got to his brother. Now, if you want to think about people, Jacob thought, I am sure, that he was better than Esau. The Bible even describes Esau as a godless man. Jacob was a man chosen by God to, to get the blessing, the same blessing from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. I mean, that was he's part of the covenantal promise. And yet when he comes to his brother, we see... The the humility. And as I've said, that you've got to have humility and forgiveness. So let's think about the meeting, okay? Here he comes. Look, Jacob comes, verse 3. He passed on ahead of them. That's Jacob passing on ahead, and he bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. That was humility, and we saw that last week, that Jacob is actually saying, I'm bowing down, I'm recognizing, I want you to see I'm humbling myself. Well, look at verse 4, because in verse 4 Esau forgives. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, and fell on his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. You know, he didn't know what Esau was going to do. He didn't know whether he was going to kill him or not. Esau comes and hugs, and it's a, it's a big deal. And what you can see is the idea of humility and forgiveness. Look down at verse 10. Jacob's, that's when he's giving him all the presents and everything. And, and Esau says, no, 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 don't give me all these presents. I've got plenty. Jacob says, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight. Take my this my present from my hand, for I see your face as one sees the face of God, and you have received me favorably. We talked about it last week, that this whole idea of giving the presents and Esau receiving them is like Esau saying, I do forgive you. And so if he didn't take the presents, uh, Jacob wouldn't know. And so you remember the next verse, "Please take my gift, which has been brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have plenty of this, He urged him, and He took them. That was big. Now when we think about the whole idea of reconciliation, because that's what we're seeing in this passage, we're seeing two brothers who are twins who have never gotten along who have been favored, mom favored one, dad favored the other. I mean, it's just been a mess. There's been lying. There's been deceiving. There's been trickery. There's been everything you can name. And, of course, Jacob had to leave and live with his uncle Laban, which it was not a good situation even for him. And now they're back, and it looks like they're reconciled. And we could say, this is a, this is actually a happy ending. It, I mean, it looks like a happy ending. You know, they're probably not going to ever be together again. I mean, except to probably bury somebody, you know, or something like that. So, But, but we wanted to think about, our reconciliation to God and our reconciliation to others. And last week, we talked about our reconciliation to God. Let me just put, as I put right here, a brief review. Let's think about reconciliation. Let's put God. Let's think about it. First of all, we moved away. Mankind as a whole moved away from God. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, beginning from Adam and Eve all the way down. Mankind, uh, we, we, we're sinners and we're fallen. And we, we all like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way. There's none righteous, no not one. Uh, that's what we're like. And we need to be reconciled to God. It is not God who moved away from us. It is us who moved away from God. And so in the reconciliation with God, which is the story of the Bible, it, there are two parts. There's humility and forgiveness. And in humility is this part. Humility is when we recognize that we cannot save ourselves and that we need a Savior. As when we come to the realization, you know, you hear people say you have to admit you're a sinner. Well, you don't have to admit you're a sinner in that sense. What you have to recognize is that you are a sinner and you cannot save yourself. That you cannot, that the good that you do, the righteousness that you do, Isaiah 64, 6, the righteousness that man does is what? filthy rags when we come to the realization and say no matter what i do i could never earn salvation i could never do it there's not one thing i can do there's no righteousness in me there's no goodness in me that god would say well if you've done that then you get you deserve to get to be with me there's nothing like that we've all sinned and come short of god's glory but god and we talked about this whole idea of 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 god is in his grace we cannot save ourselves we need a Savior. That's why I thought of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, which is, By grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's what? It's the what? It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Let me tell you, if you do anything for salvation, you know you could say? I did that for salvation. Not one of us in this room could say, I did that for salvation. Now, there's some people who are confused, and there's some places in which they tell people you have to get up and walk down an aisle, you have to make a public profession, you have to get baptized, you have to do that. Do you know if you think you do that for salvation, you know what you could say? I got baptized. That's what I did. I could say that I did something. In fact, I could boast. I could say I was willing to get up and walk down an aisle. I was willing to make a public profession. I was willing to be baptized. I was willing to do this. I was willing to do that. The Bible says it's by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of any, not of any works, lest anyone should boast. We have to come to the realization that there is not one thing in ourselves we can do to gain salvation. And so that's the humility part. And we say, God, I, I cannot save myself. I cannot save myself. I know I've told you all this story before, but I think, it's, so, I think it's, it's sort of fun and sad at the same time. I had a couple come to see me, and they wanted me to do their wedding. and I did not know them. They just walked in the church one Saturday morning. They said, Would you do our wedding? And I said, Well, you know, I, I really don't do weddings unless I do counseling. Will you do counseling? Well, let me talk to you first. So I sat down, and I, I wanted to find out if they were Christians, because I, I really only marry two Christians. You know, I do not marry a Christian or non-Christian. I could marry two non-Christians. There's nothing unbiblical about that. You're just not supposed to marry a uh, Christian or a non-Christian. So I want to make sure they were both Christians. So I started talking to them. And as I t- t- asked them, I said, If you were to die, would you go to heaven? Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, Why? And they both said, Well, you know, because we've done good, good. We've tried to live a good life. We pray. We do good things. And so I asked them both. And they were both answering at the same time. I said, so based on what you have done, then that's how you're going to gain salvation. They went, that's right. I said, so really, you are your Savior, right? And they both went. They looked at each other and they went, yeah, yeah, I guess we are. We are our Savior. And I said... You know, I started talking about, but what about sin? And we went through the stuff, and if they ever messed up one time, they're out, and they realize they weren't their saviors. But, you know, there are a lot, and and they trusted Christ, by the way. They did. It It was a great day. But the bottom line is, there are a lot of people, if they stopped and thought and said, I was willing to do this, 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 and this, you could look at them and say, so you're the Savior. You're the one that saved yourself by the things you did. The answer is, there's not one thing we do. In humility, we say, I can't save myself. God is the one who saves me. Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy does he save us. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith. In Jesus Christ, so it's humility. The second part is the forgiveness, which is based on grace. God forgives us as a gift. That whole thing, when we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, we it's it's the grace of God, and we are forgiven simply by faith. It is not by our works, our righteousness, or anything, but forgiveness is based on the grace of God. Titus 2:11, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. Acts 13:38. Talk, I think that is. There, I think we've got a slide, that we get forgiveness by faith. Now, I want to remind you of something, that when you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, He gives you the forgiveness of sin. You receive the forgiveness of sin by faith. There is a difference, and I just want to remind you of this tonight. Most people know this. Most of our people, we've taught it before. But there is a difference between the payment for sin and the forgiveness of sin. Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid for the sins of every human being. That's the payment for sin. 1 John two two, he's a satisfactory payment not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. So Jesus Christ has paid for every sin of every person. Every human being has the payment for sin. The payment for sin does not save you. The Bible doesn't say God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoso has the payment of sin will not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't say that. Payment of sin, everybody has payment of sin. What saves us is what? Faith. For by grace you're saved through faith. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes. And so the the forgiveness of sin, come, you have to have forgiveness of sin. It comes by faith. Everybody's got payment for sin. Jesus already done all that. That's what He did on the cross and paid for sin. He has provided the way that we can have forgiveness of sin, and that's simply by faith. So you understand that, uh, go back if you would. To forgiveness is based. It's based on grace. It's based on faith when we when we believe. So the the question could be this to all of us, and I and I know most everybody in here, but we, we'd say, are you reconciled to God? Because in Second Corinthians five eighteen and nineteen it talks about the fact that God reconciled the world to Himself through Christ, namely that God was in Christ, bringing the world back to Himself, not counting our trespasses against us. So God has reconciled the world to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. God has the plan, and he says, here's what I want to do. I'm sending Jesus. He's going to die in their place. He's going to die in human beings' place. He's going to pay for their sin, and I'm going to open the door and have it fixed so that whoever believes in me receives forgiveness of sins and reconciled back to me. It's that simple. John Walbert, former president of Dallas Seminary, he was a great man. He said, you know, man is forgiven, justified in a new creation when he is reconciled. Ray Stedman said this. He said, Reconciliation, it originates with God, not man, and is voluntarily accepted. God has the offer. It's an offer. Whosoever will come. That's what's so beautiful. Now, that's what we saw really last week in the sense of reconciliation to God, how God does that. Well, let's think about part two here, which is, uh, uh, go ahead and go to the next one, is by being reconciled to others. Being reconciled to others. And once again, there are two parts to that thing. It's humility and forgiveness. If you've got a problem and you're separated, in a sense, from another person, there has to be those two things so you can be reconciled. The first of all is humility. And we saw Jacob came to Esau in humility. Let me tell you, if Jacob would come back there with an army ready to fight, I'm not sure what would have happened. Esau already had 400 men. that Jacob was afraid he was going to have to fight. He didn't know what to do. And uh, But Jacob didn't do that. Jacob came in humility, and he recognized that if he was going to be right with his brother, he was going to have to humble himself. There was the second aspect, forgiveness, and that's what Esau did. You know, Ephesians says, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And the basis for forgiveness for us, when you, when you are not reconciled to another person, When there is a problem between two people and we say we need to be reconciled in the same way that when you got reconciled to God it was humility and forgiveness in the same way with human beings there is humility and forgiveness. You have to first of all say I have to humble myself and the second is there has to be the forgiveness aspect and the forgiveness always goes back to the fact that God has forgiven us. He says be kind, tender hearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. So we want to be Reconciled to others i think the next slide says we want to be may we want to be may we be reconciled to others and you think about it it goes to those two points again the first one is is humility and by the way humility from both sides i want to show you what i mean sometimes we think that when somebody's done something wrong and somebody wronged us we uh we say well If they want to be right, they'll come to me because they did wrong. You know, they need to come ask for forgiveness. I've had people say they need to come ask for forgiveness. Matthew 18 says that if somebody has wronged you, you go to them. You go to them. If somebody's wronged you, you go to them. You don't say, they wronged me. I'm going to wait for them to come see me. You go to them. Matthew 18 says if somebody has sinned against you, you go to them one-on-one. And if, you know, if he understands on it, you win your brother. But, you know, there's another passage in Matthew 5 that says that if you know there seems to be something wrong, not that they wronged you and you go to them, but you know something's wrong. He says, if you know your brother has something against you. This is when he actually talked about when you, this is, they were going to offer a sacrifice. He says, when you go to offer your sacrifice and you remember your brother has something against you, put it down and go be reconciled. It's humility from both sides. It's not just I'm the right one and when they're wrong and when they want to come talk to me, I'll be glad to talk to them. That's not how it works. It's humility from both sides where both sides say we're wrong. Oh, we need to get this right. or oh, we come in humility. It's a very powerful thing. Charles Ryrie says this. Most of us operate on the principle that the person in the wrong should take the first step. No, says the Lord. <laughs> we're the ones... We are to be uh, go trying to make things right. That's how he says it. Humility, and what's the part? second part? Forgiveness. How many times do we forgive? You remember the story where Peter was going to be big time talking to Jesus, and he knew that the Pharisees had taught that when somebody did you wrong, you forgive them three times. And if they do you wrong after three times, it's too late. Peter went to Jesus and said, You know, I've been thinking about this forgiveness thing. How often should I forgive my brother? Up to, what did he say? Seven times. He was big time. He was twice the Pharisees. And they were the legalistic ones that everybody thought was right. And so Peter doubled it and said, how about seven times? And Jesus said, no, 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 not seven times. What did he say? Seventy times seven. That would be how many times? Are we supposed to keep a little record book? Okay, you're up to 300, you know, you're up to uh, 187. No, what he means is how many times? Every time, every time, so in reconciliation, uh, you, you, there has to be not only humility, there has to be forgiveness. there's an old saying that if you bear a grudge, bear it before God. Now what exactly is forgiveness? Forgiveness is canceling the debt that's what it is. We talked about this We had a study in my Sunday school in Sunday school, we're doing temptation right now that right before we did temptation, we did forgiveness. Did a study. It took about six weeks, I think, to go through it or maybe longer. And we talked about what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is releasing the debt. That when somebody hurts you or there's something, the humility and the forgiveness, you you release the debt and you say, they don't owe me anymore. And you release the debt and forgive them whether they ever come to you or not. And because the key in forgiveness is it's for you. Releasing the debt is for you. If somebody hurts you and you were to go to them and say, you hurt me, and they say, Grow up. Get over it. You go, I don't even like them anymore. Right? That's how you say it. Well, now what are you going to do with that? Are you going to go the rest of your life going, they're really jerking. I don't want to have anything to do with them. And I tell you, every time I think of them, I get really, really mad. And I, just, No. What do you do? You release the debt. Because are you going to be waiting for that person to come back to you and say, you know, I'm sorry I said grow up? Because they may never. In fact, they may think they're right. So what do you do? You release the debt. That's for you. Forgiveness is for you. When you forgive others, you're—it's for you. And we talked about that in Sunday school class. It's pretty powerful. The entire process is all grace, humility, and forgiveness. is all grace. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. That the—I I, I think the story that amazed me, that shows that whole thing is—you remember the story where Jesus talked about the guy that that he had a person that was, worked for him and, and he, owed, he owed like what would be a, a equivalent to billions of dollars. I mean, it was when they said the figure, even in that day and time, the average person would have said, How does, nobody even has that kind of money. How could anybody even owe that kind of money? And, he, and the, the, ma, the owner said, you, you owe me that money, you need to pay up or I'll throw you in jail. And he got down on his knees and said, oh, give me time and I'll pay it back. It's not possible to pay it back. And so what did he say? He said, I'll let you go. I forgive you. I'll release you from the debt. And that looked real good. And that was really a picture of what God does for us because there's no way we can pay God back for anything that we've done. In fact, we've all sinned and we've come short. And we've done the whole thing. And so when we stand before God, we can't say, oh, God, if you'll just give me time, I'll make it up to you. God knows it could take millions and millions and millions of years. We can't make it up. God says, I release the debt. But remember what the guy did? He went out and had a guy that owed him about like eight bucks, <laughs> not billions, but about eight bucks. And he said, you owe me eight bucks. And the guy said, just give me a break. And he said, no, give you a break. I'm throwing you into prison till you pay it. And see, what he's saying is, and then the owner said, well, you're going to be in trouble for that. The bottom line is, when God has forgiven us millions, uh, what are we supposed to do with each other? Forgive one another. That's why it's all grace. That's why it goes back to that thing. <sighs> Chuck Swindoll said this. The extent to which you can envision God's forgiveness to you, to that same measure, you will be given the capacity to forgive others. The more you realize what God has done for you and forgiven you, you'll be able, will be able to forgive others and help in that. So, how are your relationships? Is there anybody that we need reconciliation? Think about it. Both sides take the step, come in humility. You can do all you can do, at least from your side you can come in humility. You can forgive and cancel a debt. There's the humility on your part, even if they've done you wrong. There's humility and you cancel a debt, you release it, and it's all of grace. In fact, when when somebody does you wrong and they come back to you, don't make them earn their way back. That's called it's grace and it's humility. It's powerful stuff. Well, we've seen reconciliation to God. We've seen reconciliation to each other. And then in this passage, what we actually saw was the big reconciliation there. It looks so good. Remember, look again at verse 11. Please take my gift, which has been brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have plenty. Thus he urged him, and he took it. And at that point, everything looks fine. But notice Esau gives an invitation, notice. Then Esau said, let us take our journey and go, and I will go before you. Now Esau is saying, I've got my men, i got 400 men, we're all right here with you. Let's go, let's go to my house, and uh, we'll be right here with you, and we'll just lead the way. You could say, well, isn't that why Jacob came back to, to get with his brother? Is that why Jacob came back, to get with his brother? What do you think? Is, do you see anything in the Scripture where he said, Jacob, go back and make up with your brother? What did he tell him to do? Go back to the what? To the promised land. So you remember part of the covenant from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. They've got the promise, the land, the seed, and the blessing. He's supposed to go back to the promised land. Well, he's, he's back basically right at the edge of the promised land. And, and Esau doesn't live in the promised land. Esau lives in Seir, Mount Seir, that area. And so, what does he say? Come on, come on with me. But notice, you know, when when a when a person really gets going and they start growing, we think sometimes they ought to be perfect after that. And we think we watched Jacob be a deceiver, be a deceiver, be a deceiver, and then we saw boy he turned it all around in humility and everything. And so we think Jacob's all grown up now and he's going to be fine. What's he fixing to do? He's fixing to lie again, sort of. Best we can tell, he's going to lie. Watch what he does. Esau said, let's go. But he said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and the flocks and the herds which are nursing are a care to me. And if they're driven hard one day, all flocks will die. All the flocks will die. He basically said, no, 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 no. We can't go because you'll go too fast because you got all these men and everybody wants to go fast. And I've got little kids and I've got flocks and i got herds and they're nursing and everything. If we go too fast, all my flocks will die. So please let my Lord, look how he keeps calling him. He calls him Lord and he calls him servant. Please let my Lord pass on before his servant and I will proceed at my leisure according to the pace of the cattle that are before me and according to the place, pace of the children until I come where to my Lord at where seer. I wish he hadn't have said that. I wish he said, Oh, you go on. I'll go slower and I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll go where I'm supposed to go. But he says I'll go to seer which is not in the promised land, okay? At least not at this section of what they're thinking about it. So he says, you you go ahead and I'll just go slow. So what does Esau say? Okay, well, then let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. i got 400 men. Let me leave them here. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So even Esau says, okay, well, if, you you know... I'll go too fast, that's okay, I understand. Why don't you just let me leave some of my men in, they'll it'll be like a protection and everything, and then you can just come on slow. No, 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 don't leave any men, don't leave any men. Why didn't he want him to leave any men? He's not planning to go to Seir. He probably should have just said, you know, right now, I'm not planning to go to Seir, is what he probably should have said.
1: Maybe he didn't want to hurt
0: his brother's feelings. Maybe he said, I don't want to make him mad, looks like everything's okay right now. I don't want to cause any problems. So look what happens. So Esau, verse 16, Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. If you don't know any better, as you get ready to read verse 17, you think Jacob's going to follow. Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built for himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the the place is named Succoth. Succoth means booths. So he, he left, and he didn't go. He went the other way. And he, Succoth means really the place of booths, the place of health is really. And he doesn't go to the place of his brother. He goes the other way. And um, why did he do that? Well, I think he's supposed to go to the promised land. Notice the next verse. Now, Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem. There is a man. His name is Hamer. And he has some sons. And he has one son in particular named Shechem. And Shechem is big time. Shechem even has the uh, the city is named after him. It says they came, they came safely to the city of Shechem. Shechem is named after Hamer's son named Shechem. It'd be like going, we just moved to the town of Freddy. Where Freddy lives, it's named after Freddy, right? So Shechem's pretty big time. He thinks he's big time. Uh, he thinks he'll be the king. Because once his dad's gone, who is Hamer and who has a lot of stuff, Shechem who the city is named after him, he'll probably be big-time guy. Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is the land of Canaan. There's back into the promised land. When he came from Paddan Aram and camped before the city. So he doesn't go right into the city of Shechem. He's right outside the city of Shechem. And So what he decides to do is buy some land. Abraham have any land? So we got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Did Abraham ever have any land? Did not he have a little bit of land? Did he buy any land at all? He, that's all he had was the place to bury his family. That's it. Now Jacob says, I think I'm going to start getting some of his land. Right? So look what he does. He bought the piece of land where he had pitched his tent from the hand of the sons of Hamar, which Jacob's father, for 100 pieces of money. So he buys some land. And look what he does. Then he erected an altar and called it El Elohim. Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. Now, that sounds okay, doesn't it? And it is okay. Has he done anything wrong? You could say, well, he, he, he either he lied to his brother or he implied to his brother that he was coming. Have you ever implied to somebody you might do something and you don't? They said, hey, you're going to come on over? I, you know, I'll, I'll probably be there. I, I, yeah, and, and I'll come in a little bit. And he said, I ain't going over there, right? <laughs> You ever done that? Esau says, come on. He says, I, we'll be there in a little bit. I ain't going there. I'm going, first of all, to where? sucketh because I built all these booths. And everybody said, what? That's a bunch of booths there. That's Succoth. And then he moves down to Shechem, which is named for Hamor's son, Shechem. And then he worships God. This is a key. This actually is good. Anytime you see in the scripture worship, that's good. Okay, Because, see, Jacob has, has been the deceiver all his life. He's been the tricker. But now he's worshiping God. And he built an altar. And he says, this is called God, the God of Israel. That's what it's called. God has protected him on the trip back from Haran. It's been gone 20 years. He comes back. He meets Saul. God protects him. God keeps his word because God told him, I'll protect you. did not have to worry. We have seen the reconciliation of Jacob and Esau. We've seen the two aspects of reconciliation, humility and forgiveness based on grace. And uh, we've seen how that ties together. And, and we've looked at our own lives, right? reconciliation to God and reconciliation to others. Now, I want to just give you one uh, kind of a heads up before we go to the application. If you want to read chapter 34, read it. But you'll be really upset when you read it. It's one of the most It's one of the most horrible chapters in the Bible. So now do you want to read it? Yeah, it's really bad because we see what Shechem does. That's the son of Hamor who's got the city named after him. We see what he does, and then we see what Levi does, and we see what what they do. And really, when you get through with this chapter, you'll go, I wish we could have skipped that chapter. And let me tell you what, they wish that hadn't happened in their lives either. The Bible doesn't hide one thing. Well, let me give you a couple applications for any questions. First application is, question, are you reconciled to God? That's the most important thing. We come to God by faith, in humility. We recognize that there's not one thing we can do when we trust in Jesus Christ and God gives forgiveness based on his grace. All comes when we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. It's powerful, and it's the greatest story of all. Aren't you glad that there's not something that you have to do or keep doing in order to be saved? You realize there are people out there that believe that they have to try to live a good life and keep living a good life, and if they were to be going along and then they don't live as good as they think maybe they should be living or they mess up that probably they're not going to get to go to heaven. they've never understood that salvation is a gift you know you deal with people like that every day you realize that what how long is eternal life forever? When do you get eternal life when you believe in Jesus Christ, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life if it could end it wasn't eternal life so it's so beautiful i hope and pray everyone in this room is reconciled to god by faith in jesus christ the second is do, do you and i need to be reconciled to someone i mean in our lives think about it sometimes there are people that we've just blown it we just we we there's a need and so what do we do humility we go to that person and we humble ourselves and in b there's forgiveness we cancel the debt Forgiveness from our side, hopefully, if there's some issue that there's forgiveness from both sides, but that idea. And then the third thing, just tied in with that, it's all on grace in the same way that God has forgiven us. So may we be, all of us, reconciled to God by faith in Jesus Christ. And if need be, may we be reconciled to one another powerful stuff. Let's pray. And then if you've got any questions or comments, we'll we'll do it. Heavenly Father, thanks for the passage. There's just so much there. Uh, Lord, thank you for the reconciliation that you have for us through Jesus Christ that you've brought sinful man back to yourself using your son. We see the humility where we recognize we can't save ourselves. We see your forgiveness, which comes by grace. And when we trust in Jesus Christ by grace through faith, we have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that in relationships with others, it's the same way. It's humility and forgiveness as we get back in in fellowship with each other. Thank you, Lord, for your plan. Lord, as we look at the life of Jacob and Esau and the sons and everything, Lord, we know that it's fixing to get really terrible. Uh, but you never hide stuff in your word. You give us truths. You, you show us things that we can know and apply. Lord, we want to be godly men and women to make an impact for you. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus' words. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, any questions, comments, anything? Oh, yeah, Gary, sorry. Me, I get the feeling that... Uh, That's what it looks like to me. Though you know, the truth is that uh, Abraham, we'd probably like Abraham as a whole, except he lied a lot, you know. And we'd probably like Isaac. Isaac's kind of the the quiet guy. Isaac only has a chapter and a half. And then you get Jacob, who's the scoundrel, really. The truth is, Jacob. If you look at him, you say, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd trust him very much. And until this recent change, we probably couldn't have trusted him at all. But I think we're going to see that as the chapters go on that. That uh, you know Jacob is it becomes a different man. But you you, you remember in the future when uh, what does this what does his sons do to him? Now he's been a deceiver all his life, right? What ha- what does his sons do to him when they when they take Joseph? And what do they say to him? I think an animal ate him up. And they didn't say an animal ate up our brother Joseph. What did they say? An animal ate up your son. Because he showed favoritism. They all knew it. So. Yeah, it's uh, God is called the God of Jacob or the God of Israel more than anybody else in the Scripture. So He says, "I'll identify with all of you." And so that you're right. You're right. Yes. I don't know. I mean, I, Jake, when when uh, when they took Joseph away and came back and told him he died, and they brought the the coat with the blood all over it. I think he believed that. He didn't know he was deceived there. I think. I think he thought his favorite son was dead. He didn't trust Esau. Yeah. He can't be I, right. Well, I think it's a good point that since he's so used to lying, he. he didn't, I, I think he just didn't want to be with Esau at all. I don't think he and Esau ever got along. I think they're totally opposite people. Esau was a man of the field and hunted and did all that stuff. And Jacob was a man of the tents, and he just didn't want to do that. I think he didn't enjoy being with his brother. I think he didn't like his brother personally. They're twins. They don't even like him. And here's Esau coming back, hugging and everything. But we don't know. Esau's a godless man. He may have said, we don't know what's going on. He may have got him up there and killed him. Who knows? You know, where did God tell Jacob to go? Promised land. Jacob's really obeying God. What Jacob should have said is, God told me to go back to promised land first. I'll go promised land first. If I have time, I'll come up to see her. Yeah. It's not like you just get on a train and go over there, you know. Or a... Yeah, I hadn't made them. What else? Anything else? Yes. What do you do if you go to someone for forgiveness and they don't forgive you? Well, the Bible tells us that if you go to someone and you you want forgiveness and they don't forgive you, then from your end you have done everything you can do. You've gone to them. You've offered to make restitution. You say, please forgive me, whatever I've done wrong. You're talking about if you've done something wrong and you go to somebody and you want them to forgive you, right? If they don't forgive you, that's all you can do. You forgive them. For not forgiving you, I mean that whole idea you have to forgive them because you released the debt, so that from then on you 're not carrying a grudge as well you 're saying I did everything I could do, and that 's between them and the lord, and so you you let it go and the truth is if if uh If they've mistreated you in some way and and you've tried to get reconciled, they don't, you just go back to the Romans passage where it says, never return evil with evil, return evil with good. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. God will deal with all those things. You just do the best you can do to be in, in good fellowship with somebody else. And if they won't forgive you or get back in fellowship with you, there's not anything you can do about that. All you can do is make the effort and forgive them and then go on with your life. Hazel? No, no, I didn't say that. I said earn back forgiveness. Trust and forgiveness are two different things. You, you may have read that in there. Trust is a little bit different than forgiveness. Forgiveness is releasing the debt. Trust is where you actually uh, count somebody as trustworthy or count somebody as accurate that, that if they said something, they'll do it. You may say, I, I, I may never trust that person again. Because you don't trust Freddie, is that it? Yeah, yeah. You trust Freddie. She's not going to live in your city. That's right, Freddie. I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping in the years to come they'll actually sit side by side at church. You know, stuff like that. I'm hoping there'll be some reconciliation here. <laughs> yeah. Freddie likes, Freddie and your city likes to spread out. Is that it? Yeah. All right, I guess that ought to be enough. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thanks for thanks for the fun that we've had. Most of all, thank you for Jesus for it's in his name we pray.